This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's Macy's one day sale with over 25,000 deals of the day in store and online like Charter Club and Famous Maker Pillows at our lowest price of the season, $5.79. Take 60% off damask sheets and bedding. Plan the vacay with a Tag Springfield five-piece set, $69.99. Get the KitchenAid Classic Stand Mixer for just $199.99. And save an extra 20% on mixers and attachments. Friday and Saturday at Macy's. Savings off sale prices. Exclusions apply. Macy's Star Rewards now offers benefits everyone can enjoy, no matter how they pay. Sign up for free in store or at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. You're listening to Drifter Sympathy on Feral Audio. Go to feralaudio.com and click Shop Amazon to shop through their Amazon portal. Proceeds support this and other Feral Audio podcasts. Have you ever taken too many drugs at a concert? Uh, yes. I have a feeling that you have an experience like this. <laughs> I don't know, no, no judgment. <laughs> I, actually, I thought of two really mundane ones in a way. The night I was graduating high school, I forgot about this. I had to walk across a stage in the Dean Dome, you know, in the basketball stadium in Chapel Hill. You know, the fucking principal shakes your hand. You got your stupid little outfit on. Right. And they had lined us up around the back of the stage with a massive crowd out there. We were, like, lined up kind of back into the, like, dressing rooms where athletes were changing and shit. And I immediately was like, I have to get fucked up. Because (laughs) I'm like... (laughs) You know, the, the the desperation of a teenager in a clutch situation that's just way too sobering and disturbing for them. The desperation of having to reach for some agent of transformation. The thing that, that makes them feel back at home in the world, which is drugs. I don't, I must have like ran up and down the line of all the kids in the gowns and like begged somebody for a joint or something but i ran back into the dressing rooms where it looked like it looked like swimmers had just taken off their bathing suits and shit and were in the shower and i like smoked a joint extremely fast and then some kid in line was like hey dude i've got the sickest blue sunshine acid because the dead had just come through okay I'm like, oh my god, this is perfect timing. <laughs> like, I'm just dying to get fucked up right now. And he's like, cool, cool, cool. You don't have to give me any money. Just give me some guitar lessons sometime, man. And I don't know how to play guitar, really. I mean, like, I that can... Isn't, that is not true, by the way. I've seen yeah, but, well, I was 17 or whatever. <laughs> okay. I couldn't teach anybody anything. Okay. But I, I just flat up lied and was just like, sure, yeah, see you next week. I remember now it hitting, you know, it's like super pure, amazing stuff. And I remember it hitting so hard that my asshole friend was like, dude, we got to go to the graduation party. Like where all the teachers go afterwards. (laughs) He was a year younger than me and he wasn't graduating. So of course he wants to go to the party because it just seems like consequenceless. Right. And it turns out my mom is the one operating, like, the video camera at the party. He's going to be, like, floating around, putting the camera in your face. It's that feeling of being like, no, 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 no. This, like, the whole town, you can see the God's eye view and the grid of, like, danger zones. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, 
there is one place I don't want to go, and my friend is pushing <laughs> me further and further towards that red beacon. Going towards the front door and seeing, like, the fucking sober teachers greeting everybody. Congratulations! All oh, shit. Seeing their faces and being like, who the fuck are you people? How do you get away with wearing those fucking glasses and those purple suspenders? <laughs> also, just the intense paranoia where you're yeah. just like, you know, like this person knows, like, <laughs> like act normal. And you're like, I don't even know how to, how do normal people act? Like, what should I do? Like, it's a two way street. Yeah. Like you don't want to be observed. And yet by observing people, it's like you're staring through the cardboard cutout that they call themselves. You right. Know? Right. I mean, a high school graduation party, it just looks like a load of complete plastic bullshit. You just want to escape. And, like, people are coming up to you. I actually made it inside, and I believe that they entered my name in a raffle, and somebody was like, you want a bike? And I was like, I am not going to get it, man. I'm, like, <laughs> sitting in this corner. I feel like my skin is, like, green. My mom's hovering around. And With the so video camera? Yeah. And some girl comes up, and she's like, you know, I used to be in a straight-edge band with her. And she's like, what are you guys doing tonight? And I couldn't even turn my head. She said, you guys are getting fucked up, aren't you? And it's like, yeah, it's good to see you. <laughs> you know, it's like, get me the fuck out of here. You know, it's not a, like necessarily a pretentious thing to see through all the time-wasting bullshit. It's not like you're putting yourself above it so much as you're just being like, this thing that we're exiting, this high school thing, you know, it just amplified the, the extent to which I never took any of it seriously. Yeah. And I just wanted to get the fuck out, you know, as, as fast as I could. I mean, I spent most of my days trying to get over to Ron's house because that was sort of like the place I could go where I could be around an older person. And that older person was a gateway to like complete freedom. And for anybody who is not remembering who Ron is. Ron, uh, a frequent character in our yeah. podcast. Well, we started the whole podcast with this kind of digression into your teenage gurus and the people that lead you into eventually becoming yourself. Ron was a substitute teacher at my high school, and he trained me like in the, the whole ritual of taking LSD. And now, a quick word from our friends at Rhetoric Coffee. Rhetoric Coffee is a subscription coffee service. Get a fresh bag of coffee every two weeks delivered to your front door. Every bag is screen printed by hand, with art commissioned directly from independent comic book artists. Each blend of Rhetoric Coffee is completely unique, with complex flavors you won't taste anywhere else. Rhetoric Coffee goes above and beyond fair trade, not just for their coffee, but in how they pay their artists. Go to rhetoriccoffee.com and enter Drifter for 30% off your first bag. That's R-H-E-T-O-R-I-C coffee.com. Feel good about drinking ethical coffee. The whole like major bond of our musical drug culture thing was obviously Pink Floyd because, I mean, this guy had like the first King Crimson album, you know, the face, like, screaming. Yeah. He had that, like, an original painting of that on his wall. I mean, this is, like, the king of the dorks, right? Remember that Pulse? Yeah, was yeah, yeah. Where it had that light? Yeah, it was, like, the, and the light, the battery would die on Yeah, the but I remember I recently looked it up, and some people were like, dude, some of them, like, the Pulse lasted for, like, 10 years or something. Like... I was like, I don't know why, I like, woke up in the middle of the night, and I was like, I wonder if any of those are still going. <laughs> Which is, like, stupid. It's so stupid. Like, of all the things for me to be concerned about. You call about. your mom, you're like, is the pulse light still on? I think that was, like, 94, like, the yeah. year. I don't know. There it was, was a similar era, though, of Pink Floyd. It was basically the one band we could agree on. 
I think King Crimson and all that stuff was a little bit too obtuse for me. I was like, why would I listen to nerds that have no hooks? Like that, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. why would I listen to stuff that doesn't actually really mean anything? You know, it's like all fantasy. Like, right. I think Pink Floyd was the one thing we could agree on was like actually meaningful. And so the summertime comes and it's finally the Pink Floyd announced they're coming to North Carolina, which seems incredibly rare. And, you know, we fire up the station wagon or whatever to go out there like a bunch of fucking loser freaks that all work at a family restaurant. <laughs> you know? <laughs> The chef comes, you know, who is, like, really ecstasy damaged. And I have no idea to what extent he, how fucked up this guy is. But, you know, I've, I've heard the rumors. He's kind of like, you know, you work at a family restaurant. He's kind of like the guy that every Christmas party kind of has a little too much to drink and threatens to kill himself in the corner, you know? <laughs> no, I don't know at all. Is that a thing? That's a personality type? Uh, <laughs> it just seems like the inevitable cast of characters, right? Right. There's like the the cool older waitress. What was the name of the restaurant again? I've never told you. Oh, you haven't? Okay. Ron got me the job. It created a little bit of money, but it's just, you know, another horrifying element of slavery. You get out of high school and then you have to go to a fucking job for the weekend. Sucked. You know, right. That's why I was smoking pot out back and the boss caught me. That's why they called me fuck waste or something. <laughs> You're looking at the cartoon of your life and you just want to fucking flush it down the toilet. It's like mocking you when you're tripping. You see the persona or whatever that you're supposed to somehow hold up during the day. It's just melting in front of you and, and you just want to kind of abandon it you're like why am i a human being why do i have to be a fucking person some girl walks up to you you're tripping she's like what's your name you're like what's my name i don't fucking know like who cares like why would you want to know my name and they're like what's wrong with you and you're like what does that mean like what's that gonna make you feel like you know me now because that doesn't make any sense actually does it you know people are like what is your problem <laughs> The entire surface of everything melts away. All you have is what matters, which is kind of a dubious proposition to most sober people. So the uh, Pink Floyd concert's coming closer and closer. Ironically, it's out in Raleigh at a football stadium. Not a very psychedelic <laughs> atmosphere. Um, but I never really thought about that. You don't really think about so many things until it's way too late. My main memories are that we were heading out in somebody's shitty little station wagon and we got gridlocked into this massive Woodstock-style car line of people trying to get into the football stadium, which already is, is an odd situation to be in. But somebody is like, okay, this is perfect dose-up time. Right. <laughs> you know? I'm just like, give me what you got because I'm thinking this is free. You know, we're celebrating. The older people are in charge. I don't have to buy my own acid. This is great. And so I look over at Ron, and he's just, like, opened his wallet, and he's just delving any piece of acid, any hit that he can find floating around in his wallet that he's just stuffed in there from his freezer or whatever the fucking thing you used to do. He's just, like, putting anything in my hand that he can find. So... As I'm like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, at least eight or nine hits, which was not a plan of mine, but it's just too late. There's just nothing I can do about it. I think we, we had based our whole trip to the show on religion. Like, this was our fucking, we were going to church. In a weird way, nothing that bad could really even happen because... I'm young enough to be stupid enough to not know what can go wrong. <laughs> and the focal point of the night is sort of the basis of your whole life right now. Like, like 
the purity of Pink Floyd is going to rescue you no matter what happens. And in theory, I think this is my unconscious estimation. And so on nine hits of acid in a traffic jam, trying to get into a football stadium, as you do when you're tripping, you start to pick up on the insidious elements, you know, like the, the conspiratorial elements and like, we can see cops like coming down on foot through the traffic to each car. So it's like your typical trick where they like say, Jimmy, do you have any alcohol in the trunk? And Jimmy's just crying, pulling over. He's like, yes. And they take him off to jail. So we're like, fuck. Ron just loses it. He's like, all right, all the drugs out of the fucking car. And he's just throwing bags of drugs out. And like, that's like the worst thing you could do in some ways. It's just like saying, come to this car. You right. Know? As these things happen with LSD, is like different waves of information hitting you, and they all contradict each other. And then all of a sudden, the cops are just like evaporated. They don't seem to be there anymore. We go in fine. Traffic separates itself, and we just pull in, and we're walking into the stadium. And the culture of the people that live around the stadium is pretty bizarre because you're in Raleigh, North Carolina. And people live on the lip of the actual football stadium. So I'm kind of like wandering along like you do, you know, I exit the car and I'm wandering along through the neighborhoods to try to get to the entrance of the the football stadium because you, I guess you have to park a mile down the road right. just because there's so many thousands of people. And so as we're kind of trailing through these weird little suburban neighborhoods, the rednecks are like out on their porches really flying their freak flags and selling like these massive balloons of nitrous. I mean, more nitrous than anyone could possibly need in these massive, like they look like weather balloons. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, immediately I see the chef with the ecstasy damage and he's just fucking running down the road in front of me and he's got like six weather balloons full of nitrous and he's just spinning in circles going, I don't know who the fuck I am. Over and over. My consciousness is really, really fading. Like I can't, the world started looking kind of white and pale and nothing seems uh, very real. I'm kind of feeling faint and I'm at some point looked down and in my hand where the ticket was the tickets not in my hand and i'm just kind of like you know you have to think through all of the the drugs in your system and it's hard to like penetrate and and get back to reality when you're like dealing with so many chemicals assaulting you so fast and so i like kind of put together that I must have literally just been looking at my hand and just dropped the ticket because I didn't understand anything's purpose anymore you know so I have to like force myself to go back you know walk through the grass and look look through the grass for the ticket and eventually you know it's it's like right there in the grass I've never not had to dig through a rug like every time I've ever been tripping, I always have to go search for something in some microscopic corner and I get lost down there for like 25, who knows how many minutes, you know? Right. Somehow the ticket's just sitting there on the grass and I gain entry to the stadium. We go up onto the back bleachers of the entire football stadium and it's a quadraphonic show because they have to, in true dark side of the moon spirit so they can create kind of like motion with the show you know with the lights and the video screen they have to be able to like throw sound around the football stadium and really fuck with you we're getting our positioning in the center of the place so we can kind of see it well enough and uh i distinctly remember like the the bleachers are very very generic like piece of shit bleachers but later on you know, we were completely convinced they were on, like, uh, some sort of hydraulic arms that were, like, taking us around and shit. And so 
were up there waiting for the show to start in the middle of thousands of people and that kind of weird silence comes over the crowd that you can't really discern it's just kind of like a and we i guess we didn't know this but like they had decided to start those shows with the original oil light show from 1966 that Sid Barrett's friend had pioneered and open with Sid Barrett's astronomy to mean like the, the heart of our whole, like my religion, you know? And so the way they did it, they didn't give you any warning. The lights just went. Possibly loud, and my skin and my the hair on my arms and everything. I was just like, "What the fuck just happened?" And I look up, and the chef vaults in the air, his fists in the air, and just starts screaming at the top of his lungs, "Hell fucking yes!" For like three hours, immediately goes to the top of the bleachers and literally we think he's probably going to jump off and vault to his death I kind of start looking up at him and it's in a very Jacob's Ladder way when he's at that party and his girlfriend turns into a hydra headed beast do you remember that scene? no I don't know if I ever actually even saw that oh crucial yeah crucial Crucial viewing it's super well made about the Vietnam War okay it's all about Basically, the confusion of drugs and, and not being able to quite uh, figure out which of the several realities you're looking at is the real one and losing perspective. I mean, just like a really hard LSD trip is like you, you basically can't get back to the main ground that you need to operate coherently and you sort of like have lost your footing entirely. And so I look up at him and he's trying to like pull his head off there's some scenes in that movie where you're at a party and you look over between a bunch of the people talking and there's someone in the background trying to like pull their head off like something extremely nightmarish you know I think that the only thing that got me through that trip was just the fact that the show was probably so long you know and I knew so many songs that I was able to just look forward not really think about anything to do with who I am or, you know, you know, I could focus on music. So it kind of grounded me in that sense. I think I probably evaporated and didn't really realize anything about life or anything behind me. I just thought about these songs. And as the light show would kind of like go down to dark purple and like sweep across all these thousands of rednecks faces you could see, you know, as a minor chord hits, all these thousands of people are tripping. You know, everybody had planned to take acid, and the whole fucking city was, like, littered with it after these dead tours. And so you would literally see a minor chord, like, wash over thousands of rednecks, and you could see the sadness that they were experiencing in real time wash over, like, this kind of viral, you know, emotion that basically cruises over people like a wave. Pink Floyd basically brought a whole level, an entire category of therapy to people who had rejected the idea of seeing psychologists. You know, it's like it's overturned this entire emotional world for them. It's okay for rednecks to feel like super hyper sad 
and think about their fucking dead parents and shit. The things that they won't go talk to a therapist about. They'll let that atmosphere exist with Pink Floyd. So Pink Floyd sings fucking mother and this washes out to thousands of tripping people and they're fucking sobbing. Like we're all just fucking, it's so moving because at that point you're so empathetic, you're tripping so hard that anybody can affect you completely because you're wide open. There's nothing you can really articulate back when you're sober, you know, from something that catastrophic to your to your consciousness. I mean, have you ever taken that much acid? No, never. I think the only thing that kept me sane was being able to focus and, like, look forward and think about this other entity, you know? Any other situation, I mean, you're going to, like, fall back on yourself and start questioning everything, you know? And I didn't have to do that. But otherwise, if you do do that, that's when I think you can get in a lot of <clears throat> trouble. Have you ever been in that kind of trouble where you're arguing with your own brain and shit? Yeah. I mean, but I feel like anytime I've done real, like, very intense, like, like DMT, any kind of, like, really intense psychedelic, it's been in, like, a, a ceremonial or, like, very controlled environment where I'm having that, but it's, like... If if you like if you start freaking out too much, like someone's gonna come over and like try to help you. Like I've never yeah. been. I can't imagine being out in public with that many people doing something like that. I think when you're like sixteen, seventeen, you're already so self conscious and exploding with such an essential sort of central confusion already that it's like the perfect and the worst time to take acid because you're you're already surrounded by so many peers that are just going to question everything you're doing already you're already trying to stay out of their way you know they're like right anything you say they're just gonna be like why the fuck would you say that you know so if you're tripping the highway of of criticism between you and other people can be extremely messy you know because there's so many thoughts that are just like firing out of you that that could be equally arbitrary or completely revealing i mean you might have someone break down and tell you they're like totally attracted to dogs or what you know tell you something you don't want to know about right them, right you know? i didn't have like that type of form like because i was straight edge till i was like 20 but that's more like ram das and the original you know i'm off yeah i'm often compared to ram das <laughs> Little Rom, they call you. Little Rom. <laughs> well, I mean, but those original dudes like, right, right. who are kind of trying to push that frontier as far as it would take their brains, they, those guys were like 40 and shit. Right. You know, so I, I, it seems like it would have been a cleaner atmosphere than a bunch of rednecks who are 16, you know, whatever, trying to see trails or something. I have had panic attacks, like lost lost the ability to have control over my brain. Specifically, there was a six-foot bong at, at, at college one night, which honestly didn't seem like a big deal or anything. It just seemed like a novelty. I don't but think I've ever actually seen a six-foot bong in person. It just seems like something stupid that, you I mean... To, you used to stand on a chair and like tilt it? Yeah, or okay. yeah. I mean, you know, the particular kid that owned it was exactly the kind of kid that you would imagine would own it, you know? Okay. A total asshole. (laughs) But uh, I I cleared it because I wanted to show off or whatever like you do. And I remember thinking, no big deal. I'm just going to be high. How bad of a consequence could come from this? And then going outside... I was kind of pacing in a circle out in front of our college dorm and I literally couldn't stop my body from kind of turning to the left. I was malfunctioning in real time, watching my body doing it and being like, I couldn't stop it. And as I felt 
like more out of control, more out of control. I just ran to my bedroom and I remember trying to get in my own door and barely being able to operate the door and literally looking at myself from the outside and thinking, this person looks like they're on the run from the Gestapo or something. Like, so scared, so frightened of what? Of themselves, you know, of, of something that could possibly happen to them only within the sphere of their own brain, you know? And, and getting inside my room and just looking at, like, the jackets on the wall and the posters and just being like, this is horrifying. Like, who is this person that would choose to be this person? You know, like a jacket betrays a datedness to it. Everything, well, jackets are hard to buy. Good jacket. Hard, yeah, hard to absolutely. find. Yeah, absolutely. But, like, look at a fucking jacket, and it just, like, says, like, so much about how cocky a person is. Something about the way it fits on you. It's just, like, looking over at it, it was just like, what a fucking asshole. Like, what idiot would wear that jacket? It just seems insane. Like, the entire reality of this little box that I lived in seemed so pathetic and sad that I was just like, I just gotta fucking get in bed and I just gotta sleep this off immediately. Climbed in my bed and I could just hear the banging on my door of this guy who I had smoked the bong with and he's like, you never go to sleep on a bus. Because, you know, fucking teenage like stoners have all these fucking philosophies about, dude, don't you don't eat now, man. Right. You're going to kill that buzz, bro, or whatever. I'm like, why are you telling me what to do? I'm like, I don't even know you, man. And, like, you're trying to beat your way in my room because you're so lonely, so incredibly lonely. And that was a huge fucking theme was, like, I always had friends that if I went to the bathroom, they would follow me. Did you have that at all? <laughs> people would follow me all the way back in my house to the bathroom and stand outside the door because they couldn't be in a room by themselves no it was so normal i'd just be like oh here he comes i was just like just can you just wait in the room while i'm gone for a second i'm not talking about people who are on drugs it's like someone who is uh suffering from hangs of loneliness like they have to be with you at all times or else you can tell they think the floor is just gonna fall out and they're gonna go to hell or something that was like a very common thing but this guy was beating down my door like you don't leave me now don't leave me now he was the owner of the bong no this was like i've talked about it before but like when you're defining yourself as as like a druggy loser you gravitate towards other druggy losers and you find yourself in positions that are very close to demoralizing.
I hope your interest in Ron is is a pure thing. <laughs> oh, it is. One little detail I left out of the Ron thing that was like was kind of important is that he had like predicted the entire kidnapping thing, which blew my mind, but I didn't believe him at all. I was like uh I was an extremely jealous boyfriend. I don't know what you were like. I completely changed a few years later, but like when I was 16 I was like the worst boyfriend that could possibly exist. And I was so jealous of my girlfriend hanging out with this other girl. I know it's hard to kind of even picture such a myopic, sad state of mind. But I was driving along in the witness relocation kid's car one day, the kid that tried to kidnap me. I was in his passenger seat and I was like, I just don't know why she's always hanging out with that girl. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I think they're kind of, like, into each other. And the kid was driving. He was like, he's like, oh, you didn't, you didn't know that all women are gay? <laughs> and I was so vulnerable. I guess I was so insecure at 16. I think the drugs were really fucking with my brain chemistry. Like, I was really not, not on top of my shit. And I remember there was, like, a little kid in the back seat. God knows what happened to that guy. <laughs> And I, like, turned to him. I was like, dude, is this true? Are all women gay? Is it seriously? Oh, my God. No one has ever told me this. Like, I was so I was so pathetic. I, I mean, guess. I'm just learning this now. I'm yeah. 36. Mm, I was so weak, I guess, in this moment. And so I just thought, well, she doesn't like me that much, you know? Although this girl liked me more than you can possibly humanly like somebody... I just had to believe she didn't really like me for some reason. And so when he says all women are gay, I'm just like, oh, my God, that must be it. And so I go home to Ron and I'm like, Ron, I learned the craziest shit today. I don't know why you didn't tell me this. All women are gay. You heard about this? <laughs> and uh, Ron just looks at me with this little smile and he goes, he wants to fuck you. I was just like, that is the stupidest shit I've ever heard. I think I even maybe got angry. I was like, that makes no sense. And Ron just looks at me very calmly. He's like, yeah, he just thinks you'll put two and two together. He's giving you this weird permission slip. He thinks if you, if you understand that your girlfriend's stepping out on you with women, it's not a long shot that you guys are going to go fuck around or something. And I just looked at him and I was just like, you're an idiot. Like, I don't know. You, you think you're some, like, fancy witch doctor? Like, you, you get these levels of psychology that I, no one else can perceive. And he was right. He was so right. Like, it just, it's, it's a detail from that story that I completely left wow, out. Wow, that's pretty wild. Months before it happened. Months. Somewhere on an archival microfiche disc sits uh, an article in a Chapel Hill newspaper that was called Water Balloons Thrown. I remember waking up and opening the paper and seeing these massive bold letters. It didn't seem like a very important story to broadcast to the town, but 
to me, it was pretty funny because we had gotten into this summer ritual in like 1992 where we would fill up these massive coolers with enormous water balloons and we'd ride around town, you know, in the phase that a boy basically just cannot even think straight or be objective about how he treats other people in the world. So the same kid that pushed me into the graduation party on acid in the beginning of this podcast was named Little Jimmy. Now, Little Jimmy had a disturbing talent for peer pressuring. I remember times where we'd have rows of cars tearing around town and he could just lift his arm out of the window and point and all the cars would just go in one direction. So at the height of our career of being total assholes, we had worked ourselves into a bit of a frenzy and Jimmy was just tossing him out the window right and left. I couldn't stop him. I'm yelling, Jimmy, no, please God, stop throwing the fucking things. And we just go on a tear. The, uh, the Water Balloons Throne article stems from the beginning where we pass by a well-known shitty establishment called Pantana Bob's, which was actually formerly Colonel Chutney's, which will come up again in one of these ridiculous stories. So there's this atrocious comedy show going on out on the back deck, and a bunch of people clapping, and we're like, oh, perfect, great, okay. So the four water balloons fly over their fence and just ruin the entire comedy show, and then we speed off through the light and pull down these neighborhood streets where we get sort of bored enough to point-blank attack a parked car who is totally prepared to kill us. So as I'm trying to weave through the neighborhoods and get away from them, I can't do it. They, they keep finding me, and we start to head out towards the highway because I figured that's the only way I could possibly get away. So we pull onto Columbia, and we're firing down the road like 90 miles per hour, and I have to slow down as we hit the, the crest of this hill, and as we're coming down the hill... We look over at one of these massive white pillared houses that were built in the turn of the century that are now used for like maybe frat houses or in this case a wedding. And we look over and there's a limo just idling, waiting, and we're being chased at about 90. So as we turn to our right, there's an entire wedding party stretched across this massive turn of the century porch with like 10 massive white pillars with all the spectators crammed in between them in their tuxes and their dresses and this long walkway leading towards the limo of the bride and the groom and I'm looking over and I'm like I see Jimmy's face and he's not thinking about anything but just targets like the world is a fucking endless stream of targets he doesn't care who they are or what they're doing and I'm like Jimmy no 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 we're being chased I gotta get a fucking way from these people man and he's like huh whatever bro and he just hurls his biggest water balloon up into the air above the limo and you can see the entire crowd all gasp for air and hold their chest and go And of course, you know, I'm looking in the fucking mirror and I'm freaking out, like slamming the pedal to the floor and the water balloon lands on top of the limo, perfectly shattering across the bride and the groom and the entire crowd goes. (laughs) So I look over and I'm uh, just in disbelief that he's that ridiculously insane and we hit the highway and the car is beside me just swinging at me trying to basically knock me off the road and I go up to over a hundred and I'm trying to pull away from it and I can't get away from them they're just crazy they're like matching me at every turn and there's nothing left to do so 
right when I can't think of anything else, I just hit the classic Top Gun strategy and, and slam my brakes so that we sort of spin off to the side. And magically, this special U-turn road, probably for police, just appears and they just blast past us and we get away.
Hello, I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior, happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. Oh, my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. <laughs> Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would, he even, why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, <laughs> oh my God. he spots his dear friend who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. <laughs> Scarface yells out his signature line. <laughs> Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. <laughs> oh my God. It's Macy's One Day Sale with over 25,000 deals of the day in store and online, like Charter Club and Famous Maker Pillows at our lowest price of the season, $5.79. Take 60% off damask sheets and bedding. Plan the vacay with the Tag Springfield five piece set, $69.99. Get the KitchenAid Classic Stand Mixer for just $199.99. And save an extra 20% on mixers and attachments Friday and Saturday at Macy's. Savings off sale prices, exclusions apply. Macy's Star Rewards now offers benefits everyone can enjoy, no matter how they pay. Sign up for free in store or at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards.